uh, if you raise your hand, they'll bring one right to you. Matthew chapter 3. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Give our attention, our focus, undivided to God's word. Matthew chapter 3. I'll be reading the entire chapter. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. May God give us understanding in this passage of Scripture that uh, we'll be going through, preaching through this morning. Uh, today is our first Sunday, the first Sunday of June. Normally we would have communion today. We won't have communion today. Uh, and that's because we've, we're putting it off until next week so that our new deacons will be uh, able to join us with our, their first communion Amen. with us. It just so happens, I don't know if this has happened in the last 10 years, that both uh, um, Nick and uh, uh, Charles are not here on the same day. That just, that's just how faithful they are. And, uh, of course, we'll be praying for them both as they travel. Nick uh, coming back from his brother's uh, wedding on the West Coast in Washington, and then Charles, who is uh, spending some time on vacation with his wife. So... Let's uh, bow our head for a word of prayer. After prayer, our choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word today. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for how well things went on uh, last Sunday in, uh, in my absence. And we thank you, that, Lord, for the message that was preached, for, for Elder Brian for speaking your word and for everybody carrying on and continuing in service to you. Um, we ask your blessings now on your people. Several, Lord, are experiencing challenges, especially physical challenges. We pray for Bonnie, who, uh, uh, Bonnie Dick, who took a turn for the worst last night and uh, uh, had to go into intensive care, and there she is right now. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that since she's been there, there's been some, uh, uh, some news, some good news shared that... Uh, that uh, it may not be as extreme as they first thought, but we just continue to pray for her. We pray uh, for her, her physical state, 
that you would heal, that you would bring comfort. We pray for spiritually, Lord, that you would encourage her heart and uh, give her a spirit to go along with your purpose and your will so that uh, she can receive the, the best treatment that she needs. We also pray for Bill, for her husband, that you would just strengthen him, Lord. His, he uh, spends a lot of time caring for her as well as working full-time and caring for, the, for, uh, for, for things that needed to be uh, cared for in the family. So we just pray that you give him strength, encouragement, and uh, stability, uh, uh, stamina for the task that this season that he is in. Um, Lord, we pray for others who uh, are challenged in their health. We pray and thank you, Sister Brenda's here today. We just pray, Lord, that you would watch over her with the diagnosis and, and the issues that she is dealing with, that you would just um, let her know that you are there for her and that this is not a surprise to you, but you know you've made her body and that uh, all that is, is of a concern to you and that you will work out according to your purpose and your will. We thank you for a husband who's been with her each step of the way during this time. And we pray, Lord, that you just watch over, bless, heal, give wisdom and discernment as to what steps that, that she should be taking. We pray for others, Lord. Um, Sister uh, Willa, who's on vacation now with her husband, uh, who who's, has a... Um, uh, just a problem with her shoulder, a tear in her, in her rotator cup. We pray, Lord, that you just watch over, help, and heal her. Um, we thank you for, for bringing Lawrence uh, back from his travel this week. We pray for um, um, Heidi and uh, the boys as they travel back later on today that you give safety uh, to them. Uh, we pray for Nick, who will be traveling uh, on his way home, and maybe on his way home now, that you would just bless in that travel, Lord. And uh, we just pray and thank you for Ruby and, and the surgery that she had this week, and that uh, she's here today and, and able to see. So we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you just bring complete healing uh, in her body as well, Lord. Others who have procedures and tests and and different issues that uh, they are experiencing going through. Uh, we're reminded, as, as uh, Elder Brian spoke in his Sunday school class today, that our, our bodies are tense. Um, we're in a temporary state, and it's a challenge, and we face these struggles. We pray that these struggles might uh, draw us close to you and dependency on you, asking you to work on our behalf, and that most of all, we would know that our hope is in you and that you have promised for us a future that's apart from these uh, ailing bodies, and you will give us uh, uh, eternal uh, body and a place with you. We look forward to that, Lord. May we be faithful until that time comes. Bless us now in your word today, and all, um, all that you have for us. May we understand and take in your truth, and may it result in us wholeheartedly serving you, committed to you, thankful to you, dependent on you, trusting in you, telling others about you, and living a testimony before others for you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated as our choir comes. It's good to be back. It's always good to break away a little bit and have some relaxation. But it's always good to come back and to be back and to see your face again and to minister uh, together. We are in chapter 3 in our series in Matthew, so let's jump right into it. This is a gospel. It's a story, of course, of Jesus. And we ended the last chapter in his early childhood, actually as an infant or as a baby or as a young toddler. We don't, we're not sure exactly how old he was. We see his protection, his spirit-led protection that was given him. And now in chapter 3, we're introduced to this new creature. He just seems to, to just jump out on the pages, and he's introduced as John John the Baptist. Let's talk about this man. It says he came preaching. 
in the wilderness. Um, he came proclaiming truth. We know uh, from the other Gospels, particularly from Luke, we know his, his family connection with Jesus, that he is a cousin of Jesus, um, and that he was born just six months before him. But we see him as a unique and, 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 and uh, uh, special individual. This is what the Word of God tells us about, it, about him. He came preaching, proclaiming a truth, um, and that he's fulfillment of what the Old Testament said, uh, what God's promised in the Old Testament. God promised that he would send a forerunner, a person to prepare the path for this Savior that is to come. And so the gospel here of Matthew lets us know that this is the one that the Old Testament had promised, that forerunner to Christ. Um, it says he was spoken of in Isaiah. In verse 3, it says here, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. What kind of person is he? He's a prophet. He's a voice. In other words, if you, if you could uh, um, speak of his whole existence, you, you could see him as a voice, a message from God sent to proclaim something to prepare us for the one to come. It says this, this voice is crying, crying in the wilderness, not just speaking calmly, not just uh, uh, reciting history or telling us something that, that we need to know, but there's an emotional, strong emotional appeal to what he's saying. In other words, he's saying there's an urgency to this message. That we ought to give attention, just as the people of his day were to give attention to it, we ought to give attention to this message as well. He even looked different. He acted different. His diet was different. It says he wore a garment of camel's hair and, and a leather belt. Now, that might sound, uh, uh, to us, it might sound pretty stylish. He, 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 he had a cool coat. I mean... He had cashmere is basically what he wore with leather. You know, how can you get any better than that? But in his day, it was an unusual, uh, unusual garment. In other words, he was not afraid to look differently. He was not trying to look like any or everybody else. He was free to be himself because God had given him a unique ability and he didn't care what other people thought about him or how they viewed him or how he appeared to them. Even his diet said that. He, 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 he ate locusts, it says. I don't know what he did to prepare that. Um, he ate locusts and wild honey. So he was unique in everything that he did. It says he's, he's like hidden in the wilderness, uh, in no man's land, right? Who do you speak to in the wilderness? But God had a message for him, and we see he had a lot of followers. So it tells us in verse uh, 4, or verse 5, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. He was different than the people around him, than the leaders and the teachers there in that day. And it caught the attention of people, and they were responding to him. Now, that's not unusual. What is unusual is his response to their response. How they responded to him, how he responded back them. It says in verse 7, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Who warned you? That's an unusual way to talk to people who are responding to the invitation of God. <laughs> you expect them to, to welcome, you expect him to, to hug them and say, man, great decision. You're coming to, to know God. But he could see through that. Brood of vipers, the vipers and snakes. He was really getting down on, on them. He didn't have much good to say. So let's get into his message. His message is this. It tells us in the very first, uh, in the second verse, repent. Repent. John the Baptist is known 
as a, he says he's the voice. He's a herald. He's one who proclaims the truth of God. And you can see throughout his whole life, he's not concerned. How, how do you say it? He will influence people, but he's not trying to get them to like him. He doesn't care about that. He's not concerned about that. His message is repent. Repent means to turn from your sin and turn to God. You don't tell a person who's doing right to repent. He acknowledges that this whole community, the whole culture that he's in, in order to prepare for the Lord, they needed to repent. Repent is a message that we hear we don't hear very seldom today, and yet it's an important part of the gospel. We have churches and ministries who want to welcome everybody, arms wide open. They want everybody to feel comfortable in their midst. That's not John the Baptist. He simply said, repent. The first word we hear is his message is just that, repent. Turn from your sin. Now, yeah, man, you all right. Come on, be with us, and, and we're going to do this thing together. We're going to glorify God. No, repent. Turn from your sin. And that same message is needed today. I want you to see just how he does this. In verse 2, he says, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew will talk more about this kingdom of heaven. We'll see parables of Jesus talking about what it means and how a person is a, becomes a part of this kingdom. But first of all, note, it's called a kingdom. It's called a kingdom because it's a, it's a, it's a, it describes a place and a people and a king. God reigns. It's the kingdom of heaven where God is reigning. And he has the jurisdiction over his, his, his domain. Domain is not just a land, but it's, it's, it's a scope of all creation. He's going to bring the kingdom. It's, it's at hand. It's coming to us now. It's just like saying the king is coming. And he's going to put his kingdom into practice. And what should your response be? What should my response be? What should the people of John's day, what should their response be? Is to repent, to turn from sin because God's kingdom is coming. He didn't just welcome everybody in. He says, no, you can't come in the way that you are. I can't get in the way that I am. There is a change that needs to happen, and it's repent. This is a key message in all that he says. When you look at all this chapter, look, he says, repent. In verse 3, he says, prepare the way. This is the Old Testament uh, 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 um, promise of him to come saying he's going to give this message. Prepare the way of the Lord. In other words, prepare yourself. John is in preparation for this king that is to come, and he's calling all the subjects of this kingdom to repent so that they can pre be prepared for this king to come. Make his path straight. Get right. <laughs> Get right. The kingdom is upon us. Get right. Notice in verse 6, this is emphasized. It, it tells us that the people who came went out to John. They were going out to the Jordan, and he was baptizing them in the River Jordan, and this is the baptism he was doing for them to confess their sins. Confess means to acknowledge. In other words, to get ready for this kingdom, a person had to turn from sin, had to confess that they had sin, that they were a sinner, and that they're no longer going to be that. We have too much in our churches that call ministry to say, just come as you are. I understand come as you are, but you don't stay that way. God calls us to turn from sin. There is a difference in how we are when we come to Christ from what the world is. In other words, from what we were. God doesn't accept that. He doesn't allow that. He changes us, and he calls us into repentance. So John called them into a baptism. 
We'll see that later on in this chapter. A baptism was a public acknowledgement, and he baptized by water. And we'll talk more as we go through this. He was baptizing by water to give a testimony. The person being baptized is simply saying, I am, I am, I, I am confessing my sin, and I'm committing myself to obedience to the Lord. Water was a part of that picture, the, the cleansing that happened with that. And I want God to cleanse me, to make me right, so I can live the way that he wants me to live. Now, we mentioned John's response to those who came. It says in verse 7, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Let me make this comment. What kind of baptism is this? This is a baptism of Repentance for confession of sins. We may note as well, we can see here that baptism doesn't save. Two things that show us that baptism itself doesn't save. One is that those who were baptized, John says, he still called them a brood of vipers. In other words, they were hypocrites before they got baptized. After they got baptized, they were still hypocrites. And John let them know. In other words, he said, what you doing coming to my baptism? What are you doing? And what does he call for them to do? He says, you, in other words, he says, you got no business living the way you live, coming to be baptized, acting like you changed. What he called them to do, he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I'm going to deal with that in a minute. But this it says in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, he says, you, you're a hypocrite. And I know you for who you are. But if you want to be baptized, if you want to turn from your sin, then show that you have changed. That's what bear fruit means. It means show that there has been a change. He demands for real change in the individual, not just a show, not just, not just a display to act like. People do this holy talk as if, you know, you, I get so frustrated with that as a pastor. Soon as people find out I'm a pastor, now it's amen and praise God. And why don't you just talk the way you always talk? Because I'm going to talk the way I always talk. And if your life has changed, you won't have a problem with that. We are talking to a man off the street yesterday. And Brian was talking a little bit about him in the Sunday school. And uh, I wasn't a part of the team that talked to him, but another one, one of our teams did talk to him. And uh, while we were on the street, there was a, there was a we, we were in a dangerous intersection, right on 27th of Fond du Lac. Cars come flying by. One car flew by and slammed on the brakes. They were running a red light and didn't know it. person happened to be on their phone, looked up, saw the red light, slammed on brakes, skidded all the way through the intersection, and did run into another car, and then just kept on going. But this man who we had talked to, he was drunk. He had been drinking there. And he saw the whole thing, and one of the first things he said, now I'm going to talk to y'all. <laughs> now now y'all can talk to me. After this happened, I, 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 want, I want to engage with you. In other words, now he saw the craziness around him. He's ready to respond to the gospel. He wants to change. But what was interesting to me several times in this conversation I think I stopped counting around 10 or so. He said, excuse my language. <laughs> excuse my language. Again and again and again. He was trying to express some things that the only way he could was that the old self that he had in his old form of language. In other words, he hadn't changed any. And that old self was still a part of him. John says to these individuals, show some fruit. If you really have come to Christ, then your life is going to be changed. And that's what he calls fruit. If you're really an apple tree, I expect to see some apples eventually come out that tree. Now, it might just be a bud at first, and I can't tell what it is. But as it grows and grows, it's going to be an apple if you're an apple tree. 
In other words, when you first come to Christ, things are changing, and the outsider looking in may not understand and see clearly all that God is making of you. But if they look long enough, they're going to see the apples. They're not going to see weeds and thorns and thistles. They're going to see fruit. John demanded that these hypocrites who are coming for show bear fruit. A lot of people can talk about Jesus and say they know him. But John says, show me. Show me in your life that you have turned from your sin and come to Christ. Also in his message of repentance, I want you to see the whole message because the gospel has been so corrupted today that we don't see it often. We don't see it clearly, at least not in the world. But look in this passage. We mentioned already John when his first words was repent. When he was doing his baptism, it was a public display of a person's repentance. And it says at the end of verse 6, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So again, if you were to underline terms and, and phrases, you, you'd have to underline that phrase, confessing their sins. This, this is a part of his message. Then he says this, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? In other words, John has a message that when the king comes, it's not just nicey, fun, good things happening in the kingdom. He's coming to bring judgment on sinners. And John says, how did you think you was going to escape this judgment? This judgment is sure to come, and this new kingdom of heaven that, that Jesus is, 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 is bringing in is going to mean he's going to judge sin. And I, I can see John with a, with a scowl on, on his face. He, 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 he doesn't look happy. He says, be for real is what he's saying. Be for real. Know that the king will come and he will actually judge sin. And then he challenges one of the key excuses that they use and we see people using today. Let me read it. In verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In verse 9, and do not presume. I, I like that. He says, bear fruit, be for real, show real fruit from where you come. And he said, and don't presume. What? Don't presume. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. This was a common excuse that, that people were given, and it started in the Old Testament. They were saying... We, in fact, we saw it in, in Exodus in a sense, in an indirect way. The people of Israel were saying, God will not judge his special people, his chosen people. Judgment will not come on this chosen people. They will escape the wrath of God because they are part of the family of Israel. They are Abraham's promised children, and therefore they won't be judged. Remember when Abraham, excuse me, when, when uh, Moses interceded in Exodus, he interceded for the wicked people that he was leading. God said, I'm going to destroy them. And he says, God, please don't do that. Remember your promise to Abraham? That you're going to raise up from him your nation. Th th these are your people, God. Don't destroy them. What did God say? <laughs> he said, let me put it in my own words, move aside because I could raise up another group of people from you if I want to and still keep my promise and still destroy these. That's the same thing the gospel is saying here. 
John says, don't you presume that you belong to the people of God and that God won't bring judgment on you because God is able to raise up seed of Abraham from these stones. That is a strong statement. People today are saying, I said a word. I said, Lord Jesus, save me. And I am saved. Now notice, John didn't dispute that when you trust in Christ, you're saved. What he's saying is when you trust in Christ, there's going to be some real fruit too. Bear fruit in keeping with this repentance you claim to have. John is just saying, be for real. Stop playing. And don't presume that you said something and that you're protected. Because you belong to this group or that group by, by virtue of what you've said. He says, God is able to destroy you and still keep his promise to his promised people. That is an awesome, awesome statement. Because that's exactly what those Pharisees and Sadducees were saying. They said, hey, look. We are part of the nation of Israel. We are part of God's promised special people. In fact, we're leaders in it. We know the law inside and out. God is not going to destroy his people. John says, don't be so sure. Because it's people who are saying that they are his people that aren't. Later on in the New Testament, we'll see Paul makes a statement. It's not just what you say with your mouth is who you are in your heart. In other words, it is that decision that, that God has made. We're talking in John chapter 3 in one of our Sunday school classes. It is this being born again. See, Nicodemus fit that, 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 that role of, hey, I must be part of this special chosen group and God certainly wouldn't destroy me. No, he, Jesus said to him, you must be born again. It ain't just you were born as a Jew. You must have an internal act of God giving you life. And John is saying the same thing. This is very clear. Don't say I went to church. I was a part of that church. I met a, I met a young man yesterday who was a part of Milwaukee Rescue Mission for a time, and he's no longer there. They're like, man, you don't look good. What's wrong with you? I hope, I hope you're not saying, well, you know, God, I went to sweet communion. Show me the fruit. Did you know the kingdom of God is being established and the king is demanding repentance? Show me the fruit. The other part of John's message is a clear part of the gospel. When he says this in verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. I'm doing some clean cleaning and some spring sprucing up. My wife and I are trying to get our yard into shape. You don't take out the axe if you're trying to prune a tree. I don't trim my hedges with an axe if I want to keep the hedges. I trim the growth. So it's shaped the way that I want it to shape and has a beautiful appearance. But if you take the axe to the root, that's a death blow. You're tearing it down. He says right now, <laughs> the king, is, his axe is going back like this. And it's going to come forward. That's what he's saying. Even right now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. So much is talked about God is love and God's grace. The gospel includes that, doesn't deny that, but it's taken out of context. This message is, yes, God is love. Yes, God is grace. You ought to fear him because his judgment is real. Even right now, the ax is about to swing. 
John is announcing that the king is coming, and he's talking about the acts. He's talking about judgment. He's talking about hypocrites that haven't responded to God's word in, in, in a genuine way. Even now, he says, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Now, what tree gets the axe? He says, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So he's not talking about pruning that tree. It's gone. In the city, they take care of our landscaping and our, our trees along our sidewalks and the curb there. Every once in a while, there was one tree on my block that they had an orange X on. Sprayed an orange X. Later on, later on, a crew came by and they got the chainsaw and cut that tree down. There are younger trees that they put braces on as they grow, so they don't get bent this way or that way. And when the tree is young, the brace will hold it so that if the kids don't mess it up, it can grow up straight. But as the tree matures and if it gets bent, especially towards the street, and it's been over too far, you see the branches are going to grow out and they're going to be in the way of trucks and cars. Just the other day, uh, it happens a lot in my house because we have a fire station right down the street. Fire truck, you hear the siren, and they're going, they're racing down the street. They get to, there's, there's, my street ends in a T, and the truck has to turn left or right. And, and trucks, fire trucks need a lot of room to turn. That's why they're concerned about people double parking and parking too close to the corner, because they can't make that turn. They're also concerned about low-hanging branches because they get in the way. So the city forestry department comes down and they trim those branches that low, hang in the way. But if the tree is too old and too mature and it's hanging too low, you can't just trim the branches anymore. You got to cut down the whole tree. You got to cut down the whole tree. Are you branches that need trimmed and touched up? Or is God about to swing his axe? See, that's the truth, the reality that goes with the gospel. Look, you don't know how long you got to live when you playing with God. Hell is full of those who have reached the conclusion of God's grace. In other words, God says, that's it. That's it. You won't get a second chance. You don't know if that's tonight. John was preaching that kind of message. He said, don't play games with God. You a Pharisee or Sadducee, you are a leader in the religious area, and you think you are right because you belong to a group, and God is saying, my axe is about to swing. That's the gospel. The axe is about to swing. Get right. Stop playing with God thinking, you know, I'm just going to do my thing this week, but next week I'll be back in church. I'll get right with God tomorrow. I'll get right with God next week. I'm only 20-something. I'm only 30-something. I'm only 40-something. I got plenty of time. You don't know if you got another hour. You say, I'm in pretty good health. You can take one foot out of this door and somebody will run you down with a car. It doesn't matter. You, there's a thousand ways to die. Yes. They're all God's judgment. John was given the message of God. And it wasn't always a pretty message. He says the axe is about to swing. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. That's graphic language. Here's a strong message, a prophet message. This is the gospel message. Don't think you're too old. Don't think you're too young. 
Young people are dying today. One of the things I do is, is as, as a part of the school at, at, at Cross Trainers Academy, I sent the students out with a prayer. And they don't know how urgent that prayer was. Lord, how many are coming back? As they go off for the summer, how many are coming back? We don't have a guarantee on that. We don't know. It doesn't matter if they're 8 years old or 18, anywhere in between. We don't know what's going to happen. How many are coming back? Get right, John is saying. Prepare for the kingdom of God right now. We have young people here today who may not even be taking it seriously, but if, you, if you're here already, you've heard God's message. God is telling you, you better take it seriously. Don't wait another year. If you can understand what I'm saying, then the gospel message is for you. Now, if you're in nursery, that's a different story. But if you hear and you can understand what's being said, God is challenging you to respond. Now, wait till you're 18 to your 20, to after you get married, to this or that, turn to Christ right now and show fruit. Then John showed that this gospel message is pointing to a Savior who is going to judge sin. And in verse 11, he says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John is showing his place. He's humble. And yet Jesus called him one of the greatest ever born. But he's saying, the job that I've given is to get you ready for this one who's coming. He's the one that's going to give you the new birth. This baptism that I have is to prepare for him, but his baptism gives you his power and the Holy Spirit with that. He also says this, the same Jesus that's coming, that will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Look at verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor. What does he mean? When you're threshing, what you do is you divide what it is that's good, the good product, the good crop, from what's just a waste. I know we're city dwellers, but, you know, if you pull a carrot out of the ground, most of us don't eat the whole thing that we pull out the ground because you got roots attached to that and you got the leaf that's on the other end. So you cut off a little bit of the top and you cut off the bottom to where it's firm and you realize that's the good stuff. The rest you throw out. Same thing with any fruit. The apple on the tree, you, if you pluck it right off the tree, most of us don't eat the stem and don't eat the core. We pluck off the stem and just toss it anywhere. Who cares? It's not important. You bite into the apple. He says the job of this one who's coming, he's going to se separate the wheat from the chaff. In other words, there's part of that crop that was made for it to grow and be protected, but there is, that stuff is just pushed aside, and then the real stuff is what's left, the crop, the real fruit, the real plants, the real vegetables. He says he has a winnowing fork, and what does he do with this? He gathers his wheat into the barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. Two things that we need to know from there. There's a separation being made. He's clearly going to separate one thing from the other. One he keeps, the other he tosses away. 
and he describes in powerful terms, he doesn't just ignore, you know, I take a peanut and I break the shell and I, 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 I just rub it between my fingers and that's what I call the shaft, that little skin over the, the peanut that, you know, if you don't get rid of it, it gets caught in your throat when you eat. So you, what you do? You, you, you rub your finger and most of it falls away and you blow it. It's nothing. Psalms 1 says the wicked are like the shaft. In other words, they're not important. <laughs> They're not significant. They don't come into God's blessing. <laughs> Blown away. But even more significant than that, he's saying the shaft is not just ignored. It's put in the fire. Clear teaching of hell. Clear teaching of God's judgment. He takes the good fruit that he has produced and he brings it to himself for his kingdom. Anything he has not produced or is not important to that is burned, put aside. He's speaking of his judgment. This is the judgment that Jesus is bringing. This is what he does. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. John is saying, get ready for the king, and this is what the king is going to do right after this. Verse 13, then Jesus came. We see John's baptism. We see his ministry. We see the man. We see the ministry. Um, and then Jesus comes. He came to be baptized by John. Now, this catches John off guard. And he says what we would, we would expect him to say, what are you doing coming? This is another proof that baptism isn't for salvation. We said the per first proof of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who came. And a lot of them got baptized, but they weren't born again. In fact, John says, y'all going to have to show me something. And then Jesus comes. Jesus doesn't need to be made right or to forgive, be forgiven of his sin. And John is like, Jesus, why are you coming to me? Jesus doesn't even explain it. He says, let it be so now. He explains it with this. Thus it is fitting for us to fulfill our righteousness. I think it's clear Jesus is setting an example and a testimony. He tells us later in the last part of Matthew that we are to go out as believers and invite people to be baptized as an expression of their trusting in Christ. He says, I want you to baptize me, John. Because this fulfills all righteousness. Jesus is simply being baptized to, to foreshadow or to, to speak of what he's about to do. He's about to step into his ministry, and his ministry is so that people can be turned from sinners to saved. People can be turned from, from their sin to their Savior. He is that Savior who tastes death for his people. But look what happens, and it is significant. Verse 16, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up on the water, and behold, what's the picture? What's the scene? When Jesus comes out of the baptism water, here's the scene. The heavens were opened. And what happened? The Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, coming to rest on him. And there's a voice from heaven. And that voice is identified by what he said. This is my beloved son. So this is the father who identifies the son and gives his approval to that. So this is the exclamation point on, on all of this chapter. Here it is. John is baptized and saying, this Savior, the kingdom, the king is coming to set up his kingdom. And now Jesus appears in John's baptism, comes right up to the Jordan and says, John, you need to baptize me. John's like, what? Huh? Why? Just do it, John. And in this scene, all it's like the sky is spread open. For people to see and for people to hear this voice that comes down from heaven saying, this is it. 
In other words, John is, is the forerunner pointing to Jesus, and now we see the scene where from heaven, John, everybody watching, this is the one. Make no mistake, here is the king, here is the one who is coming to bring his kingdom, here is the one, and I'm well pleased. I fully endorse him. We got political candidates today who are trying to team up and they want endorsements of key groups. Jesus comes with a full endorsement of the one from heaven. And by the way, that's the only one he ever endorses. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. If God the Father is pleased with him, why aren't you? He fulfills all that God says. Why isn't he fulfilling in your life as the Savior who calls you to turn from sin and wholeheartedly turn to him? John the Baptist, a unique individual, but his whole role was to prepare for this Savior and appoint to him, and that's exactly what he does. Heaven itself opens up and points to this Jesus. How can you miss such an important point? You dare not. You dare not. This is the one that all heaven has called. The whole word of God is pointed to this individual. Embrace him. Do not miss him. God has put his, his anointing, God has put his calling on him. Not anybody else. Not Muhammad. Not, not any great prophet from the Old Testament, not any one to come. This is the one that God is pleased with. This is the one and only one that he endorses. This is my son. I'm well pleased. God says, come, trust in him. Come, commit your life to him. Repent, turn, and believe in him. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for appointing us through men like John to who Jesus is. We thank you for the message of the gospel that doesn't shun to proclaim your judgment while at the same time showing your great grace that's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a marvel to me, Lord, that in all of this, it's the Holy Spirit that comes and appears like a dove, that symbol of peace. And yet Jesus is that perfect combination of your judgment and your grace. And he will execute both. You commanded all who turn from their sin to turn to him. And so we repeat that gospel message today, Lord. Challenging, encouraging, begging, and pleading with people today to turn to Christ, to repent from their sin, to serve him with all of their lives. And so we say that today. Help those who have committed to you to serve you, to be faithful to you. Empower them through your Holy Spirit to live in obedience to you. Thank you for that work that your Holy Spirit does to bring fruit in our lives. We pray this now in Jesus' name.